I feel that the appropriate way to actually defeat a stereotype is being transparent, being true, being yourself. Because when you assimilate, all they're just saying is like, there's no culture in what you've done. Talking to myself again, wondering if this traveling is good. Is there something better doing we'd be doing if we could? And oh, the stories we could tell. And if this all blows up and goes to hell, well, I hope that we can sit back on a bed in some motel. Sing you all the stories. All right, so welcome to the Get Lost Podcast. I am Joe Sills, a freelance writer for Travel Channel, National Geographic, uh, Bassmaster Magazine, and a host of other places, uh, basically whoever will pay me to take pictures and interview someone. And I'm here with Jonathan Martin, a.k.a. Malik the Martian. What's going on, everybody? Glad to be here. Joe, thank you for having me out. Man, it is my pleasure to have you in. We are in Memphis, Tennessee, in the South Main Sound studio. Yes. Shout out to South Main, the whole arts district downtown, revitalizing Memphis. They're doing it, and we're actually both in our neighborhood, so we both walked here, which I think is pretty cool. (laughs) Commute options, healthy commute options, you know what I mean? Everybody deserves to be able to go somewhere, you know close by without much travel yeah so speaking of close by uh malik the reason we had you in here today is just to kind of to break down who you are and where you've been what you've done and you know malik is an award-winning uh, photographer a photojournalist, mm-hmm. a south memphis native who's now in south maine <laughs> so congratulations you moved about a mile <laughs> thank you thank you thank you a little different zip code you know what i'm saying yeah so Malik, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do right now? Um, currently, I'm still a freelance photojournalist within the city. I work with for the New Tri-State Defender, which is like the oldest black newspaper in the region, not just the city, but the region. Um, also, I freelance for MLK50.com. Um, also, I'm the photographer for Memphis Rocks Climbing and Community, which is the in- new indoor rock climbing gym in the heart of Soulsville across from Stax Museum. So if you're in Memphis and you're looking for something to do, you need to come on out. We're a nonprofit facility, the first of its kind, where um, payment is an option, meaning that, like, you know, there is suggested prices because, you know, got to pay the bills, but we try to get, we'll never turn anyone away from the inability to pay. Right. So for those who don't know, um, Soulsville area uh, is an area of Memphis uh, with a lot of history. A lot of history. Uh, historically, it, it's, you know, Otis Redding recorded there, Booker T and the MGs. Who else has recorded there? Man, Aretha Franklin, the Queen, uh, Isaac Hayes, you know what I'm saying, a slew of others. But it was just, you know, like a, Stax was like a mecca for black music back in the day, you know. Um, and shoot, even down the street and around the corner, you know, we got uh, Willie Mitchell and Royal Studios. It's just the whole neighborhood. It's just a bunch of musical history yeah and so even the stuff in the 60s and 70s obviously made an impact on the world but i, th- I remember a few years ago like bruno mars went and recorded at willie mm-hmm. mitchell's yep uptown funk that was recorded in the same neighborhood across the street from there is the t-shirt shop 
uh, where I almost died back in the day. Doing what? Printing shirts? I was, uh, I was a graphic <laughs> designer, and I worked there for years. And the, Actually, I was there this week picking up some shirts for sold out. Um, but one day, I was sitting at my desk, and the wall exploded, and <laughs> there was, like, literally a shootout in the room next door. It was sorry. It was crazy. But, no, that's, like, I knew something was strange. I was like, man... Everyone came to work next day, and, like, nobody was phased. I'm like... Welcome to South Memphis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you grew up in this neighborhood, but before we get into that, mm-hmm. I want to take people and just give them a little taste of where you were. I guess it was last week or the week before. Yeah, week before. You found yourself in Telluride, Colorado, of all Tell places. Telluride. <laughs> what was that like? Oh, well, it's mind-blowing. Um, yes, I was born and raised in Memphis, but I did spend, like, 10 years in Utah, and I haven't been back to the mountains in 19 years. So it's something that, you know, I always said I'm going back on a pilgrimage to Utah one day, you know, just to soak it all in, see my old elementary school, et cetera. But to be able to go back to the mountains for, you know, a totally different reason was just so refreshing. Um, to be able to just see those views, to be able to um, see those sights. Like, I've just never been so present in my life because it's just like, I want to be able to soak up every second, every moment of this. I remember the first time I got out of a movie, it was late. It was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And um, I was at the top of the mountain, and I had to ride the gondola back down to the town or whatever. And um, I, <laughs> I happened to roll the window down in the gondola and look up. And it's like, you know, in Memphis, we don't have a, we're not that big of a city, so we have some light pollution. So you can see some stars, right. Mars, you know, in the springtime, you can see it. But um, I rolled down the window, and, like, I was just in awe about the thousands of stars <clears throat> I could see. You could see the Milky Way galaxy with your naked eye. And just as a photographer, you know what I mean? Like, I don't need my, – my eyes is my greatest equipment. So being able to see something as vast as a galaxy with my naked eye, you know what I mean? Like, there, I felt there was no nothing else that I could have done to capture the moment but to sit there quietly and soak it in. Like, and this was this was a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So contrast that really with the place that you spent most most of your adult life. Memphis, Tennessee, South Memphis. Um, I mean, contrasting is like, you know, I I actually give Memphis the definition that was like from Egypt, which is like you know the city of the dead, where they bury like the pharaohs and the kings and the queens. Um. Not to say, like, it's a city of death, but the city of the dead. You know what I mean? Like, and you can be dead in a lot of ways, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, Memphis is just a different place. Like, the comfortability that other people are afforded in a lot of ways is um, you don't even have the uh, chance to ever know those comforts. So it's foreign to you. Um, Such as? Like, you know what I'm saying? Tell you right, man, there's 0% crime. Like, they have no police department. Like, I saw one cop the whole time I was there, and that's when Oprah was there. And, you know, they had beefed up security. But there's, like, zero crime. And that just shows you, like, everybody's, it's an affluent town. Everybody's affluent. So, wait, wait. Oprah was there when you were there? Oprah was there, yeah. She stared at me the whole time. I got pictures coming soon. Wait, what? <laughs> what? She came and gave a speech, man. She's buying a house out in Telluride. What was she say. speeching about? Um, She was telling her story, her life, her journey to where she is now. But also just dropping, like, what she learned along the way about how, you know, she thought that she was going into the entertainment business and have a TV show and, like, she's going to teach the viewer. 
And what she quickly found out is that these extremely nuanced circumstances that were being brought before her on the show, like she wasn't teaching the audience, the audience was teaching her. And how she grew over the years in learning, you know, the do's and do nots and, you know, some bad decisions in show business or what have you. But mostly, like, you know, Oprah is still learning to this day. Like, she doesn't feel that she has everything or, like, you know, she knows exactly everything what to do. And um, she's still trying to, you know, trying to figure out new ways to enjoy and look at life and, like, learn and soak up from something from everybody. Um, It wasn't like, you know, teacher talking down on you more so. It was just, like, extremely guru, um, you know, just giving you all the insight in the world type situation. That is incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oprah was there, too. I mean, you're, like, full of lessons. I was watching Malik on Instagram as, (laughs) as I was somewhere in Eastern Europe. And I'm sitting here like, man, he looks like he's in the coolest place ever. It kind of was. Like, I don't know. It inspires me to, as an artist, because, I mean, my biggest thing, my whole life, I wanted to be a director. And um, that's the reason why I picked up a camera. And then, you know, they tell you to learn the camera, you need to take pictures. So I ended up, I never wanted to be a photographer, but learning how to take pictures just led me down a whole other career path. And I'm finally at a point of career stability and, like, not even stability, but um, self-esteem. Like, for me to be able to put my art out in front of people and have them dissect it. Like, I remember a few weeks ago, I shot my very first music video, and um, it was for the Salvation Army, and they had that music program, and everybody came out and watched. And it was like, I was back there the whole time holding my breath, like, are they going to laugh at the part that's supposed to be funny? Are they going to take this like that? Um, But just to finally start being a, you know, like have enough courage in myself to put my stuff out there is where I'm at, you know, with the career and everything. When did you start shooting? When did you learn how to use a camera? Um, you know, if we want to be technical, I've been shooting my whole life back when I had like the point and shoots. Right. Um, my freshman year in college, I had like an old cool pics Nikon, but that was just like, you know, snap a picture, put it on Facebook. It was nothing about composition or none of that. Um, I took, I officially started shooting in 2016 um, when I graduated from college, and I was staying in a crappy apartment. Like, it had bed bug infestation. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a great parting gift, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like, I could either find a new apartment. I just got a raise at work, graduated. I was like, I could find a new apartment, or I could, like, um, buy a tent and couch surf and pay myself instead of paying rent. And, like, that's all my life I've only wanted, like, that buffer to, like, invest in your dreams or self. And nobody's ever given it to me, you know what I'm saying? Instead of being, like, bitter or whatever, I created it for myself. So for six months, I basically just, like, camped at a local campsite or sometimes my homies' backyards and uh, couch surf. Like, I had, like, five friends, and I would just rotate their houses. And so you save money from doing that. You didn't have to pay rent. I didn't have to pay rent to or buy a bill. camera. Yeah, so I bought my camera. I bought some lenses. I bought my programs. I bought a MacBook, and I just did what I want for that like six months. So I feel like people from Memphis that are listening to this are gonna immediately freak out and say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait!" Malik. Everybody freaked out. I was in Arkansas when I did it, and like I had like two friends who was like, "Malik, I believe in you, and I know you can do it." Everybody else was like. Don't do it. I don't like it. Or do you really think this is going to work? Okay, okay. So you're, (laughs) 
It did work. And I can tell you somebody who lived out of a tent for six months, you can really get ahead that way. <laughs> it's, 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 I would recommend it, It's actually. economical. It was the spring. It wasn't too hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So were you in Memphis or were you in Arkansas? I was in Jonesboro, Arkansas most of the time. Okay. I would drive to Memphis on the weekends. I still wasn't here full time because I was still working at my old job. Okay. Um, and I was working with this rap group, Hippie Soul. If you haven't heard of them, check them out. They are like this generation outcast, only better. Um, Tico Tate and EDIQ are like two of the greatest rappers ever. But I would come on the weekend and like videotape their shows. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, like Dojo Fam, shout out to all them guys, Tut Weezy, K Man, Crucial Killing It, Tater Pro Day, had to shout out the whole crew. Delay, I see you. But, um, you know, just they gave me the spark to really want to document. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so many people are like, oh, how do you shoot for the big name artist? I want to shoot for so-and-so. It's like, who do you shoot now? What local people do you put that time into? Like, that you believe, like, I put that time because I believe in them guys. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I refine my skills where, like, I'm in these crappy underground, you know, where they throwing shows, no light. So when I get in the FedEx form, of course I can take a good picture because I've taken a good picture in the worst condition. Right. You've been, like, at the complex. <laughs> hey, shout out to <laughs> that club faces. Shout out to the Den, Fat Mac, you know what I'm saying, Trap Jazz, all the shows that put me on, uh, Dream Fest, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of... Can with height, uh, hookah lounge out in East Memphis. Um, but it's like, I believe that's the training areas. You know what I mean? So many yeah. people want to jump in and just go straight to the top. But it's like, train, you know, spar with yourself. You know what I mean? Like, get better with yourself. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about, like, some of these venues that you were photographing. Because I feel like unless you've really <laughs> driven through South Memphis, like, I don't think you can visualize the way I guess the best I way I can put it. it is like I remember one time like some of my white friends dropped me you know took me home on from a uh, break from college one time and like you know we turn off the interstate and I'm like you know make a left right here and like they get to looking around they're like hey uh Malik I'm not trying to be rude or anything but um do people live in these houses? Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, man. there goes some people sitting on the porch right there. But you know what I mean? That goes back to what we was talking about earlier. Just like, if that's normal for me, you know what I mean? Like, shit, I don't expect anything different, better or worse. Um, but with, you know, if you're not from there, it might be alarming. You might be worried, you know what I mean? Or like wonder, you might have a sense of wonderment. Like, how is this happening? How are these people surviving in these conditions? Cause it's like, it might be unbearable to some, but, you know, when you come from South Memphis, it's just like, well, Memphis, period. It's just like that grit and grind. You know what I mean? Like, yes. We it's gonna, real. We gonna, none of that stopped me. You know what I mean? Like, if you make it to a certain point in age and career in Memphis, it's like I do feel, you know, somewhat invincible pretty much. Like, I, I would say that having grown up here, too, and, and even I didn't live in South Memphis, but I worked there for many years, um, and I remember, like, you know, there were these guys every day. They would walk by my office and there were bars on the windows and whatever, but it didn't really matter. There were dudes that would walk by my office, and they just would wear snakes. <laughs> like, not small snakes. They would have, like, six, eight-foot snakes. Pythons. Pythons. Just <laughs> I never knew really what was up with them, but I was friendly, and, like, we got along, and everything was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking up some statistics about, about that part of Memphis before you came in, just because mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of refamiliarize myself. I was there earlier, of course. I saw you at the gym. I was, yes. I was working out. 
would you believe me if I told you like the median real estate value there is? Let me guess before you tell me. Uh huh. I'm gonna say ten thousand dollars or less. Uh, for like houses and stuff, it is. There's some commercial property that bumps it up, mm-hmm. uh, but the average still is like thirty grand. Wow. Thirty grand, you can buy. That's not bad, and pretty those are like building. pretty, like two to three bedroom houses. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like pretty. They're not small. You could get into like Wrap the foreclosed porch. houses there for like eight, nine grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there might be some people there you had to kick out, if, but it's, <laughs> it's that kind of place, man. And I, and I remember when I started working there, like people would look at me really funny, like until they got used to seeing me. This was before Memphis Rocks moved in, and before. Stax was rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. Back when it was like a field. Yes. <laughs> so it was really unusual to see like a white person in South Memphis. Yeah. And it's just like if they were looking at you until you became familiar. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, uh, I don't know, for Memphis it was like, you know, Project Project Pat, the great poet, once said, you know, if you ain't from my hood, you can get from around here. Yeah. And it's just like people are always like cautious. You know, in Memphis because it's just like, you know, it's a high poverty rate, which equals a high crime rate. People aren't inherently inherently bad. Um, lack of resources, lack of, you know, jobs, lack of education. It leads to – abundance of factors leads to crime. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, but if they know you, like, you know, you'd be less likely to meet the crime side I, of things. I wasn't worried about that really too much. Um, but it was just, like, weird, funny things would happen. Like, I would go to Memphis Best Soul Food and – they would, I'm just trying to get lunch, man. Like, I'm trying to get lunch. I work around the corner, and they would take a picture of me. And they would put it on the wall, and the next time I come in, it's like, you know, all the famous people that ate there. <laughs> it's like Morgan Freeman, Samuel L. Jackson. Jack Black was here last week. Jack bro. Black. And they put me on there. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Like, this is so bizarre. But They're trying to make sure you weren't a cop. I think so, yeah. They have a picture <laughs> of me just in case I am a cop, so they know. Like, or maybe they keep it behind the counter and it says not a cop. It's like a <laughs> so you get, yeah, you get the special tray. So you know I mean, what I mean? They would give me a lot of food, but they do that for everybody. <laughs> it's a soul food point. Yeah. yeah. So now that you guys have kind of a picture of where, where Malik grew up, although you mentioned you were in Utah, what, what age did you move to Memphis? I was uh, 11. Okay. So you were 11. So that's like preteen, teenage years. So really, like, the basis of who you are is going to be formed in south memphis rather than like you know i mean utah was a double-edged sword because like i went from middle class white neighborhood being the only black person all the way up until sixth grade in the whole entire school that must have been really weird it was really tough like i I was still i was living in salt lake city back when like being black was kind of like a sin to mormon people so it was like yeah it was kind of, it, was, it wasn't kind of, it was very rough. Is that real? They really, like, that was the sentiment? Yeah, er, yeah like, late 80s, early 90s, like, it was, like, not, something in the Book of Mormon, they changed it now, but um, wow. I vividly remember it'd be, like, elementary school, is Joe's birthday party, whole class invited, Jonathan, you can't come over to Joe's house, like, you're not, you're not welcome over here, and that was not, like, abnormal. As a child, you knock on the door, everybody playing outside, you can't come in, you gotta stay outside. Dude, that is crazy. Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, it gave me when I moved to Memphis, like the both sides of the tracks. You know what I'm saying? I sure. Remember, you go from one end of the spectrum to the other. It's too extreme. So I went from like middle class white neighborhood to like extreme poverty overnight. Yeah. I remember my first time like going to the Super Value on Bellevue, 
And we walked in her door, and I was just standing there staring. And my grandma's like, what's wrong with you, boy? And I'm just staring because I've never seen that many black people at one place at one time. Like, in Utah, it's like 10 black people, we all go to the same church. You only see each other on Sunday. But to see, like, a grocery store filled to the brim with black people was, like, abnormal. And What was that feeling like? I mean, it was just like, I remember thinking to myself, like, am I ever going to adjust to this? Or will I ever feel this amazement again you know like bewilderment of like oh my god all these black people i never have felt it again you know what i mean but just that one time it'll always stick with me that's crazy man i mean i i I can't really relate but i can say like if i go to nashville (laughs) there's so many white people and i it's so scary i get really uncomfortable there man i can't i get scared in nashville too when i walk down the street with all them cowboy booth stores yes (laughs) i can't do i can't do it i cannot and then people like on on trips and stuff, they're like, oh, so you're from Tennessee. I love Nashville, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, look, we almost succeeded. I'm from Memphis. <laughs> yeah, like this is this is very different. Like, please, like don't don't misinterpret. Okay, no, not at all. Uh, so th- now that we know, and we kind of can mentally picture the situation that was going on in South Memphis as you were growing up, and the, and the poverty, and it really is. It's just statistical extreme poverty. I mean, you see, and not to like you know. Treated like it's a developing nation or anything, but like you know, it's 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 it gets yeah, it's for, disheartening at times. <laughs> for America, it's it's it can be like rough, just straight up. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that from an outside point of view, it's easy to look at that and treat that as a statistic. And I wonder if internally, when you're in it, do you feel like a statistic? I mean, you got so much like. Uh, for me, I had so many, like, other things to worry about before I can even think about it. Like, I remember one time I saw, um, like, uh, my grandma's income, because my grandmother raised me, and it was, like, 11000 on a year. And it's like, you know, to me, shit, I didn't know that was not a lot of money as a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, like, 11000 Wow, Grandma, you're rich. <laughs> you're basic, because you see it all at once. But it's like, you know, as an adult, you're like, I clear that in a couple months. <laughs> you know, but like, yeah. Um, but grandma was making it for a a year on that, and feeding you, mm-hmm. and who knows, like, who else taking care of the business. Like, I couldn't imagine. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's what, like, my grandma go back to. She was born in the Great Depression, lived through Jim Crow. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's a whole nother level of hardship that black people are used to. To whereas, um extreme circumstances for like an average citizen like you know someone who's been through so much it's like this is better than what it was you know jim yeah. crow south and scream squalor in south memphis i can deal with this because it ain't that you know what i mean um and just always having that type of juxtaposed because it's like i don't know do you feel like do you feel trapped in south memphis or do you feel like no i'm gonna get out i'm gonna make it i mean i felt like you know i'm gonna get out i'm gonna make it no matter what situation I was in, I knew that, like, the neighborhood didn't confine me. I do have close friends who, like, lived, like, same two, three-block radius their whole life, never really left the state or, you know, traveled or done anything. But I knew personally that wasn't going to be, like, for me. Just because I, like, didn't accept it. Like, and I was always a dreamer, you know, and thinking of, I'll do this, this, and this. So we had a guest on before you, uh, and his name was Gary Parrish. He was from Horn Lake, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically the polar opposite of what you're talking about, although Horn Lake is, is not an affluent area. Mm-hmm. It's still basically uh, people born there, uh, 
in Gary's situation, there's a lot of white privilege. Yes. And he'll tell you that, and that's sort of what we talked about. Um, but he said the mentality of the people that he grew up with that never left two or three blocks around, you know, the, mm-hmm. the cotton fields of Horn Lake uh, hadn't really changed since he was a kid. Do you feel like the friends that you've talked to and that you've had your whole life that never really left South Memphis, is their view of the world stagnant or does it evolve? I mean, it evolves slower. You know, in some ways it's stagnant. Because, I mean, like, even as me, as someone who, like, people could view as, like, made it out or whatever, a lot of times, like, I were, you know, I hold a lot of those type of thought processes, not just, like, it ain't, like, saying closed-mindedness or whatever, but, like, I'm from South Memphis, so it's, like, um, being argumentative or, like, if there's any type of friction between me and another person, like, I have no problem escalating any type of situations, you know what I mean? Where the average person be like, oh, calm down, you know, like, I have no problem, because it's just, like, where I'm from, that's step one, is escalation. It's no talking it down or anything. So, in a lot of ways, they're, like, my homeboys, I still hang out with them. Um, they're still my dogs. Like, out of everything, I appreciate the people who, like, were with me during that phase. You know what I mean? Because I understand we, yeah. you know, same block, same hood, um, we weren't all given the same advantages. So I always believed in being, like, the spook who sat by the door, being that if I was able to go out and garner any resources that I would always bring back, whether it be information, opportunity, actual financing, which hasn't happened yet. But, you know, like, I've always felt like it's, you know, it's up to me to bring back as much as I can, to be the liaison between the two groups because it's like I'm able to go hang with this crowd of people, but also, like, I know this crowd of people and, like, being able to go back and forth and not be fake in either group setting. You know what I mean? Like, I can go stand on the block right now and be hella comfortable. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, yeah. I remember that you had, like, like a reveal. Uh, we've known each other, I don't know, a year or maybe a little more than that. About two years. Yeah, two years. Two years, that's right, yeah. And uh, Malik had a really cool, like, art project going on in Soulsville, and my girlfriend was a, p- a part of helping that happen. Shout out to Lenny. Yeah, hey, Lenny. Um <laughs> But the coolest part, I was so stoked because Malik is like, we're going to have this reveal for my art project, and it's going to be like a Colt 45 party. So we're going to have malt liquor, <laughs> like this whole fridge full of malt liquor. Yes. And I went, and I was like super stoked because I could just like <laughs> grab a Colt 45 and hang out in South Memphis. Like, it, post it. Post it. In the summer, it was like nice out. It was warm. It was a good night. It was like. good. Um, but even that, like. You talk about the ability to, like, shapeshift and and be real in any situation. Like, mm-hmm. you can go downtown to the Peabody rooftop, which is this really ornate, like, old-style, gilded, gold, you know, bar-type. Ritzy. Ritzy is the word, yeah, <laughs> place. But I'm sure that your photography work is taking you to these type of places, and, and you're able to blend. Yeah, but I still want to be, like, sometimes, like, I still want to be South Memphis, like, I don't want no caviar. Please bring me some hot wings. You know what I'm saying? Dude, yeah. I don't want no champagne. You got a 40 back here. Like, what's up? Um, but it's just like going back to like, you know what I mean? Keeping it real. Because it's like coming from where I'm from, when you get into like the world, people are always trying to teach you like where you from wasn't good enough or like you need to learn how to change, acclimate to the real. I used to have like a mentor. where would be like, that's not the real world. This is the real world. And it's like. No, this is as real as it gets that I'm used to. And, like, because of that, I can come to your world. And it's just like, let me just not mess up, you know. 
Do you feel that way, like, let me not mess up? Like, there's a pressure? I mean, like, especially if anybody ever... Follow me on Instagram, whoever listens to this, Malik the Martian, uh, T-H-A. But if you see me, like, most people would think I'm not as articulate as I am. You know what I mean? Or, like... I don't like like they would judge you because, you know, here's a black guy with dreads and a beard. And I mean, not just with dreads and a beard. It was like I have a very haggard appearance. It's not like I do like a lot of, you know, like clipping and maintenance. You know what I'm saying? But it's like um, it's easy to get wrote off or overlooked. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But I feel that the appropriate way to actually defeat a stereotype is being transparent, being true, being yourself. Because when you assimilate, all that is saying is like, there's no culture in what you've done, you know, where you're from. Like, you need to become the dominant part so it can be okay. And the way to defeat it is, like, you might look at me and have any type of uh, preconceived, no, no, you know, how I look. But then talk to me. And all that's going to be, like, out the window. Like, oh, man, I'm so wrong for, like, ever thinking. And that's how you actually make the change is, like, contrast. By me and you, we're sitting here talking because it's like, I ain't ever tried to, like, what's going on, Joe, buddy, old pal? <laughs> like, it's the contrast yeah, between, right. like, how we grew up, our experiences, right. which makes the bonds closer and tighter. And that's what I like to present to the world. Yeah, I, I could see that. And I'd also say, like, for, for people that, if, I'm sure people from South Memphis will listen to this. I'm like, Who, who's this guy? I'm like, <laughs> the long hair do you see at the gym. Who sits at the desk and has a big smile. Yeah, um... But there are few places in America, actually, with as much culture as this little slice of Memphis. But I want to transition. I want to talk a little bit about, instead of where you're from, Mm -hmm. where you've gone and how those experiences have given you a new perspective on not only where you're from, but Mm -hmm. your future. I mean, the experiences, like, now that I, you know, hold nearest and dearest to my heart is what's happened since I started this cameraman journey. Like, when I tell people all the time, I had no plan. You know, well, I had a plan, like, I'm going to take pictures. That was my plan. Like, right. no matter what, like, I'm going to take pictures. Because I still was working. A lot of people was like, you ain't got no housing, da, da, da. But, like, I had more money than I ever had in my life at that time. But, um... Any, you had a camera. You yeah, had a MacBook. <laughs> had a camera and a MacBook. You had a tent if it all went south. Right. And I could still have somewhere to stay. But it was just like when I was laying on my back, looking through the see-through mesh roof at the stars, I could not quantify what has happened, where I have went, the people I've met and rubbed elbows with. Um, but those experiences, like every time it's like life-changing. The first one really was like um, Odell Beckham. Right. So we were. Odell Beckham's an NFL football player. Superstar. Check. Mega star, yeah. Yeah, like check Sports Center top ten. Right, all the time. One hand catch. Um, so working with Hippie Soul, somehow the we're in universe is weird. Odell heard their music. And um there's another guy that we run with named Tut Weezy, and um he found his comedy on Instagram and he invited us to come hang out for a few days at his house. And um that was mind blowing. One, because it's like Odell Beckham wanted to hang out with us. Like, who the fuck are we? We're not going to, I am a nobody. It's Odell Beckham. Yeah. But, like, you're mega famous. Right. You're like a millionaire and stuff. A list celebrity. And, and my grandma made 11 grand in a year, and you're a millionaire. And he spent that very much so in like a dinner. <laughs> but, you know, it's not even, for me, it's not even about the money. It's like the people. So when you like hang, well, our last night there, an old came to us and was like, you know, I appreciate y'all coming out, 
and hanging out for these few days. You know, I even put an extra day in the room because y'all was so cool. And I just like having good energy around. We're like, oh, no, oh, you're the greatest, blah, blah, blah. And he stopped us. Like, no, seriously. Like, when you're big as me, you just want, like, genuine good people around you. And, like, that stays with me. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, he didn't have to show no love. He didn't have to break no bread. Like, he invited us to the game. That's my only NFL game I've ever been to. And he it was against the Detroit Lions. It was, like, December 23rd. And he caught the game-winning touchdown with one hand. And it's like, if there's some Odell Beckham experience shit, like, I was like, I, I was like, I knew you was balling, bro, but I didn't know you was going to win the game with a one-hand catch in real life, like on Madden. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like was, literally right in front of me. Yeah, and it's like, then you, he invites me to the house. And the funniest, the funniest story, so we was over there, and everybody went to go get dressed for dinner, like all his entourage and stuff. We was at the house chilling, and everybody just like cut the music off and got quiet, went upstairs, left me and my friends downstairs for like 45 minutes to an hour. So what? how many people are like, obviously it's a big house. Yes, it's very big. How, how many people are like running around the house at this point? I'm going to say 15 to 20. Okay, so it's, there's it's it's like a lot going crew. on. Yeah, it's like 25 with my crew. Okay. So like 20 people disappear for an hour to get ready for dinner. And when they come downstairs, they're like, in the corners of the house talking amongst each other, and you can't hear nothing but shh, 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 shh. Yeah, because we about to go eat. Because, yeah, we about to leave. So I'm thinking, like, oh, this is how rich people tell you to get out their house. So I, like, get my friends together, like, hey, it's time for us poor people to leave. <laughs> and I called the Uber, and um, we're walking to the front door, and, like, as I grab the handle, Odell starts coming down the stairs, and he was like, where y'all going? I was like, thank you so much for inviting us out. You know, we went to the game. We came by the house. This is a wonderful experience. And Odell was like, do you really think that I had y'all niggas drive 16 hours to come to a game and come over to my house and just hang out for a couple hours? And we looked at each other. We was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe. That's just like- Odell was like, cancel that Uber. We about to go out to eat. We about to enjoy New York and turn up. What do you do? I was like, oh, my God. And then, like, I took the first picture of Hippie Soul with, you know, Odell. But, like. I thoroughly believe that um, in life, you don't cross circles unless you're supposed to be there. Like, yeah, um, yeah. The, you know, you know. Like, I would never, if I have no chance of being like a very successful photographer, filmmaker, or whatever, I would never get those chances to be around these. You know, this, this. You know, like you'd have some success, but like that level. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how this stuff be happening. The pinnacle, really. yeah. And it's you know, I believe whatever you seek is seeking you. But, um, like, that's the first thing that, like, I look at that picture every day. And it just ignites a fire in me because it's like I didn't, you know, you didn't have to give me anything. Well, he did give me something, a repost on Instagram. He reposted one of my photos. This is really what kicked off my career to give me the ultimate cosign. Um, we left from New York, and they was like, send me your photos without a watermark. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable doing that. Because you, even though it's Odell or whatever, but, like, if you don't tag, my watermark's all I got at this point. I'm just starting right. out. It's your identity. That's it's all your... I have at this point. And um, he reposts my picture, and it gets 285,000 likes. Oh, and my like, God. That went from, I remember I was, I was working at the local university in recycling, which is a glorified trash man. I was changing the trash can. My phone rings. My friend is like, fool, you been on Instagram today, bro? I'm like, nah. He said, bro, you need to get on Instagram. Odell just reposted your picture. I swear to God, I was like, walked in my boss's office, like, finna quit right there. <laughs> wow. Like, I don't need this. I was still broke. Do you like, know who I am? <laughs> I'm the most famous trash man in South Memphis. <laughs> 
But just that, you know, I always knew, even though I was digging in a trash can physically, like, I always knew that, like, it was more to it than this. So just the same mindset to even when I was in South Memphis and it was bleak and blah, blah, blah. But, like, no matter what, like, it was always a fire inside of me that, like, nothing in life could extinguish. I I actually can really relate to that. Um, But we're here to talk about you. No. (laughs) So we're going to go from Odell's house, which is... I mean, it's the craziest story that's ever been told on this podcast. <laughs> shout out to Od- Odell, real talk though. Yeah, oh. shout, out, shout out to Odell. <laughs> hey, uh, please post this podcast. <laughs> Much appreciated. Thanks, bro. Um, let's talk about Telluride because I I'll give you like the the mental image that I had, and you can help me f- put it together. Okay. So I'm doing some travel channel stuff in Spain and. Eastern Europe, and I'm, you know, I'm following my friends on Instagram whenever there's Wi-Fi, <laughs> and I see Malik. I'm like, man, what's Malik doing? Usually, Malik's like into some borderline trouble scenarios in South <laughs> Memphis, like messing with the police and, you know, city hall, like stirring up stuff, which does need to be done, and, and right. we appreciate you for I'd that. I be, I be documenting the protests. <laughs> yes, and that's super important. Uh, but this time, Malik was like in the snow, mm-hmm. and it's June. And I know Malik lives in Memphis where there's no snow. <laughs> so if I'm, there is, the whole city's closed for a month. Yeah, I'm really confused. I'm like, where is this man at? And I found out that you were on a, a sort of expedition for Memphis Rocks mm-hmm. in Colorado. You want to tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yes. Um, first and foremost, man, shout out to Tom Shadyac. Like, he is such a great man like i'm not even i don't i don't never you know use that term loosely um but like seriously like he is such a great man like investing in memphis rocks bringing you know saying rock climbing to south memphis and making it pay what you can is like unthought of it's the first in the world but um further than that like he's been taking kids and groups of people to tell you rides for the film festival for the past 15 years um and, and for people who don't know um, you'll know Tom by his work. Uh, tell, tell us who Tom is. <laughs> Tom Shadyac, he is a, a okay movie director. <laughs> he directed such films as, you might have heard of these, uh, you know, some of the Ace Ventura movies, Evan Almighty, Bruce Almighty. You may have, Nutty Professor, you may have heard of him. They sound a little familiar, yeah. Sometimes. You might have to Google that. Um, his last documentary is I Am, and he also has a new feature coming to uh, theaters in August, Brian Banks, uh, based off the Brian Banks story. So most definitely check that out. Check out the trailers on YouTube right now. Um, but he's been taking pe- people from students that he has to Telluride for 15 years. And what really is involved, to, what is evolved into is like a pilgrimage, you know what I mean, for like, I ain't, you know, like for a group of people who typically, like, I'd never go to Telluride. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's hard yeah. to get to. Like, you have to fly to Denver. And I mean, I would, six like, hours. Never, never go to Telluride, dude. <laughs> so, like. When you get there, what you go to? <laughs> um, but, you know, being that he opens that up is just, like, you know, unbelievably amazing. And then when he, like, he makes sure all your accommodations are, like, you're not in, like, there's no Motel 6 on Telluride. But there's. You're in the you're enjoying Tay Right House supposed to be. Let me just put it like that. Oh, I see, I see. So is this like for some people like the first time they've seen mountains and snow yes. and stuff? Yeah, a lot of people, especially like our Memphis group. You know what I'm saying? What is, what is their reaction like? Um, just excitement. I remember like the first day we get there, and he's like, uh, "We were st- we 
we were on our down on our way down. We were in Boulder still, and we went to like Emerald Lake or Estes Lake, or Estes, Estes, Estes State Park, probably. yeah, Emerald Lake, and um, like it was just excitement. And he's like warning us the whole time about altitude because like you know we ain't never been in altitude. Oh yeah, and like I'm like running out of breath. Yeah, I'm like I ain't worried about that. You an old man if you can walk around like I know I got. And I went to tie my shoes and was I couldn't breathe, but I was still like excited to get you know up the mountain. Um, so it was just like always just, I don't know, excitement and glee and like just overall happiness. Cause I use Telluride as like a way to recharge, rejuvenate, be away from like, I finished all my work before I left. I'm like, I'm not doing any edits. No, you know, if I take any pictures, it's for leisure. It's not like trying to go hard and get the right angle. It's just like snap or whatever. If it's good, it's good. It's bad. It's bad. Um, but it was just amazing, man. Like from that first hike to, you know, you out of breath, but, like, I finished it. We went all the way to the third lake at the top, and you're, like, 10,000 feet up. Um, there's really nothing else that I can, you know, that I've done that can compare to that, like, type of solitude that's, like, just in nature. There's studies that I've read recently that say nature is the cure for our, like, 24-7 millennial connected minds. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe there's something to that because – the original sold outside journey, uh, which started in this building we're in now, there's mm-hmm. there's a restaurant just next door, and I remember going to get a milkshake, and I had put all of all of my items that I owned in a storage unit down the street, and I had my little SUV, which is nothing fancy, like a little yeah. Ford SUV. <laughs> I had some couch cushions in it, and a trunk with clothes, and and I took off, and that was the beginning of writing about travel and writing about everything. But that journey, I figured figured out a lot of stuff about myself and Mm -hmm. ended up with a weird tattoo and, (laughs) you know, as one does. But the whole time you were doing that, there's one question. So you knew the whole time, like, you had to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't have a house. I had to live in a tent. Yeah, well, I mean, like, even if you had a house, like, do you – well, I didn't have a house either. But it was just, like, while living in a tent, like, you knew this was going to work because it was, like, there's nothing else to – it's going to work, except this is going to work. I knew the f- second night. The first night I was in a Walmart parking lot in Missouri. It was There's nothing. Sketchy. I have pulled up to Walmart and let that seat back because I was too tired to go pitch the tent. Yeah. didn't want to bother nobody. You know what I mean? It's it's nothing wrong with it. Don't park by the doors. People look at you like you're a bum. Yeah, and it's convenient <laughs> if you need, like, you know, like, um, deodorant and stuff. But it wasn't a good sleep because it's not dark. But the second night there was... Uh, a storm that came in and I was in the Badlands in South Dakota mm-hmm. and I was like, dude, I hadn't pitched a tent since I was in Boy Scout <laughs> and I was almost 30 at this point. And so I had pitched this like Coleman Walmart tent that my brother gave me. <laughs> so I, I built it wrong. Spikes, you know, like the, the spikes were wrong. The, the rain fly was on wrong. This thunderstorm comes in. And I had pitched it on a bed of tarantulas. Jesus Christ. I didn't know they, like, live in holes in the ground. I didn't. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I was more worried about the buffalo that were, like, rampaging around <laughs> camp while I was pitching Did the tent. Did the tarantulas get in the tent, or they were just, like, on the tent? No, no, no. They didn't get in the tent. What happened was the, the storm came across the Great Plains, and the Badlands are, like, sort of near the, the end part of the Great Plains. So the storm's, like, whipping across America, mm-hmm. gets to, like, my campsite, and, and bumps into my tent. That I built very poorly. <laughs> so the tent is caving in on itself and is beating me on the head with the tent pole. Uh-huh. And I'm like trying to, I'm pissed. 
and I'm terrified. Yeah, at the same time. At the same time. So I get out of the tent, and it's not really raining. It's just wind and lightning and stuff. It's also weird. Mm-hmm. I get out of the tent, and I'm like, man, i got to fix these stakes. They're not in here right. And when I do that, I, I walk out of the tent, and there's this, like, tarantulas everywhere. I mean, like. I would have just, like, died. It was crazy. My story may be different. <laughs> it was crazy. We need to write a book. It's called While We Were Homeless. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Because I think I would have been like, you know what? Um, I'm, I, can I get my apartment back? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was it was nuts. But I knew then, man, I knew that, like, I was determined. If I was going to give up, mm-hmm. I was going to give up that night. Gotcha. With the lightning and the spiders and the house caving in on itself. And I woke up in the morning. I was still there. Mm-hmm. I kept going. I I drove all the way to California, Oregon, Washington, ac- across the whole country. And you can you can read all that by the way. Soldoutblog.com. It's still up there. The archives. Um, they're not pretty. They're not as good quality writing as as I would do now, like professionally to get paid. But it's true though. It's yeah. true. Yeah. I, it was like you. It was like going to the complex or going to uh, you know a club in the hood, like. You're training. You're learning how to shoot. Mm-hmm. I was learning how to write. I was learning how to blog. Yeah. And so many people want to, like, skip the the polishing stage of things. You know what I mean? Like, even before I ever had a camera, I remember, like, in 2010, I went to Barnes & Noble and bought a book, like, How to Shoot Music Videos That Doesn't Suck. And it's like I was interested in reading on telling Sounds like friends. a Google search. It's It's kind of like one of the... It could be how to shoot music video that doesn't suck. <laughs> That's the name of the book. It is. It's actually a good ass book, and it's like film school in three hundred pages. <laughs> That's amazing. But you know, just because it basically says, if you don't know anything about parameters when it comes to like photography or film, you know, what I mean, it basically gives you like, hey, don't go out of bounds here, don't go out of bounds there, and you okay. might have a decent, you know, like just the groundwork because you know, in the social media age now. Anybody can be a director. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, we all have access to YouTube, and we don't even have to have cameras. We can use our iPhones. Um, so, and, you know, I think if anybody truly wants to do anything, the information age that we live in, like, YouTube University is so real. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Before we wrap up, I, I want to keep talking about your trip to Telluride, but um, do you want to share with people the most outstanding thing that happened in Telluride? Yeah. So I met a couple of cool people in Telluride that are all like way more famous than I ever would have thought they were. Um, first would be Jedediah Jenkins. Jedediah who, Jenkins. Yeah. So I met this dude like my first day in Telluride. He's like, yo, what's up? My name is Jed. And he's with this wonderful soul named Ruthie. Shout out to Ruthie. And um, he was just like, yo, dude, I got a book. I'm an author. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, whatever write some books um you know i just asked him out for like you know lunch because the whole thing about tell your ride was to get out your own way so if there's something tom asked us one thing so if it's normally in memphis you do it don't do it and tell your ride you know what i'm saying so like i'm okay. extreme introvert i get off work if i don't have a assignment i'm going home you know what i mean like i don't do too much socializing but in tell your ride i was like oh let me get your number so i'm like okay we can actually uh, go out, you know, for lunch. And uh, I hit him up one day for lunch. And he's like, yeah, sure, dude. We can go out. Um, we're going to have a picnic, and I'll pick you up. And he picks me up, and we're riding. And he makes, like, a quick turn on the dirt road. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, is, is this M- Murder Street? Like, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm still the only black person in the car, so I got to, like, where we, uh, you know, too many, tur- too many sudden turns. 
in the wilderness. But uh, he was like, yeah, we're going to my friend Hillary's house. I was like, Hillary who? He's like, Hillary Swank. So, Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Stop, what? Yeah, Hillary Swank. I'm like, how do you know Hillary Swank? And he's like, oh, she's a fan of my writing. To me, it's still not clicking to, like, I need to Google who Jedediah is. Oh, you're just like, yeah, this is, he's a local and they met at, at the rock concert. He said she, gym. you know, messaged him on Instagram. Stuff happens on Instagram, so I'm just thinking he's a normal dude, went viral somehow, or explore page or something. Right. Uh, Jedediah Jenkins is a New York Times bestselling author. So I'm, like, hanging out with this bestselling author. Um, his friend Ruthie is, like, you know what I'm saying, um, a social media guru, you know, a public, a phenomenal public speaker, um, Sophia Bush, which is a, a actress. Sophia, I know if she hears this, she she won't be mad at me. I have I haven't watched any of her films or movie or TV television shows. She'll appreciate that. No, she actually likes it because she's like, I treat her like a human. I'm not like, oh my god, it's Sophia. I'm just like, so who are you? <laughs> yeah. But in a good way, because like, I don't care about your status or your title. Um, I care about you as a person. And, you know, like, so many times, that's one thing I like about being around celebrities is, like, it adds the humanization to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, when, being around Odell, I, I can't watch Sports Center no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it ain't nothing personal. Like, they bad mouth. But he's a human. Like, before you don't ever see these people in their homes when they're brooding, when they're sad, and when they celebrate. When they're just being normal like you like know, us yeah. like people was like we're you don't be taking pictures of people in their house i'm like just imagine if i was sitting on your couch just snapping away at you as you watch netflix <laughs> like that's the equivalent to like you know what i mean that would be weird to celebrity but like celebrity strips you of your human like so many people view you as like a prop of some kind to society instead of like a individual human and um but yeah all that to say like so we just pull up on Hillary Swank, and um, she's getting a new house built, and, like, she has the biggest smile on her face. And, like, the thing what I really appreciate about Jed and Ruthie is that um, <clears throat> being the only black person in a room can be intimidating, especially around more fluent people, especially where I come from, because, like, I have to deal with imposter syndrome. Like, you oftentimes feel like I'm not supposed to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been in situations where, like, I mean, I tell people all the time, like, majority of my closest friends and family are dead. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, that can strike you in the moment of, like, pure celebration where there's nothing but happiness around you. And then you look around, it's like, damn, the people I really wish I could tell that this is going on or this is happening to me, um, I wish I could celebrate with them. They're not here. And then, like, that'll kind of make you feel like, do I deserve to be here? Am I supposed to be here? You know, like, am I here? It makes you feel guilty. Yeah, almost. It's like a, you know, like a survivor's guilt. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but what Telluride did for me was reaffirm that I am supposed to be here. Like, I found a journal that, um, leatherback book, and it had, like, you know, like the stamped on letters on it. And it says, uh, where you are right now, God circled on a map for you. And, um... You know, I'm not, like, extremely religious or nothing, but that spoke to me as in, like, wherever I am in the world on my travels and on my journeys, I'm supposed to be here because, like, it was planned out. Just to be like, you know, I ain't getting an apartment. I'm staying in a tent, and I'm going to take pictures, and it's going to work. To, like, the shit actually worked. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> like, I could, yeah. I had no business plan, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had no formal training. I was just reading and YouTubing, and um, 
it, you know, I'm at Hillary Swank house and I like signed the beam and it, like it was still being constructed. I mean, and I signed the beam in like the master bedroom, like what's a mansion without a Martian and put like my head, my Martian head and stuff. And it's like, so I'll forever be in Hillary Swank house. And it's like, I'm just a poor ass dude from like South Memphis, but it's like sky's the limit. And the biggest takeaway from Telluride is like, I still haven't done what I've set out to do. Like, I want to be a filmmaker, and I haven't directed nothing. You know what I mean? So it's like any type of, you know, success or notoriety I've gained from, like, my works is not even the pinnacle of what I plan, actually plan for myself. So it's just like I know that if I keep working, you know, stay focused and stay driven, that um, anything truly can happen, like anything. The last question I guess I have for you is what is the future for Malik? Where are you going to go? Um, so I'm transitioning this year. Like I'm still taking photos, but, um, I have a few documentaries that like over the past couple of years through my photojournalism, like stories, MK 50, uh, I'm working on something called the Memphis six doing the, uh, got dealing with the Martavius bank shooting and the protests and the protesters and like the city and just trying to put these together to be full features or like, you know, like docu shorts, um, to start my directorial debut is like, this is really what I'm trying to move into. So before December, we should have like close to three documentaries out. We're going to have to have you back. Uh, for those of you listening, you can follow Malik on Instagram at Malik the Martian. It's Malik with a K and Marsh the with a A. T-H-A. And, and Martian with a Martian. Yes. <laughs> and it's a little green alien. You can't miss it. You cannot miss it. Um, but I feel like you've got a really good situation, man. And, it just speaks to that fire. It speaks yeah. to that fire. It doesn't matter where you start. If you want it bad enough, you can do it. You can do it. I'm not saying it's easy. Nope. And I'm not saying it's fair because nah. I, I know I've had advantages other people haven't had. Uh, but at the same time, you can start from scratch and get there. So thank you for joining us, nah, Thank you for having me. And I appreciate everybody who out there listening. Um, just one love. And all good things come to those who stay true. So no matter what, stay true to yourself, stay true to your craft, stay true to your loved ones, and you'll be all right in this world. Remember that guitar, that museum in Tennessee. Name played on the glass, brought back 20 melodies. And the scratches on her face Told of every time he fell Singing every story he could tell And all the stories it could tell And I bet you it still rings just like a bell And I hope that we can sit back on a bed in some hotel Sing you all the stories we can tell.